Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It was Jesus who made that statement in Matthew 5, verse number 8, and it sets before all of us the great desire that we've got to maintain the kind of purity that would, be, that would please our Heavenly Father. And tonight we're assembled as a group of God's people here at Pippin, thankful that we can gather like this, and thankful that we can not only encourage each other in the midst of a world that so often is distracting and discouraging, a community of believers all bonded together in the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord, who are excited to not only push forward, but to help others do the same. And tonight, as we're assembled, we certainly are thankful for the opportunity, and we're going to study perhaps an interesting lesson from the first book in the Bible tonight. So please be turning back to Genesis, and we will look at chapter number 4 here in just a moment. These introductory thoughts will proceed to move us on our way toward that study. You and I are always so much impressed with the need on the part of God to rightly divide the word of truth. We never wish to take a passage and use it to teach what was not in the mind of God, and we never wish to fall short of a given passage that God has revealed to us. And yet there's, of course, some very great struggles that sometimes our youngsters face, and even some of us, of course, who are older. It'll have to do with the very text before us tonight. Let me set the stage for it on this next slide as we come to a study of Cain and his wife. Now, maybe at this point you're already wondering, what, what is so problematic about the wife of Cain? Well, tonight let's see if we can't put some of those thoughts together and develop our study beginning on this slide. As you and I open the wonderful book we call the Bible, we notice that therein we find that God created in six majestic days the wonder of His creation. And when he arrived at the sixth day, we notice he fashioned man that day, Adam. Unlike any of the other creatures he had made, Adam was made in his image, you see. And we notice that God quickly recognized the man was alone. And so he soon caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam and fashioned from Adam's rib a woman. And God brought her to the man and he married them. And these two are completely unique now. They were made in the image of God. They were immortal spirits. They were those who could appreciate the marvelous fellowship they enjoyed with God. In fact, God walked in the garden because He put them in the Garden of Eden. And isn't it interesting, as you'll notice on that slide, they dwell there in, in Eden, enjoying this genuine paradise on earth, not only a place without sin, they had a complete fellowship in full totality with the great Maker who made them. However, as chapter 3 opens, the tempter came before Eve, and she succumbed to the temptation and took of that forbidden fruit, and she gave to her husband, and he ate of it as well. And we notice that sin entered the world. When they partook of that forbidden fruit, you'll notice on that slide, one of the punishments that rather quickly came as God addressed the serpent and He addressed the woman and He addressed the man. One of the things that was also to be true, they were forced to leave Eden. They no longer would have access to that tree of life. They were forced to leave it. And that brings us really to the opening stages of chapter number 4. Because on that occasion you begin to note this. The text says that Eve became pregnant. In fact, specifically, verse number 1 of chapter 4 reads, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, 
and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, and we notice immediately. They apparently were not even in Eden long enough for her to have gotten pregnant. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how long they enjoyed that wonderful paradise before they succumbed to the temptation, but it would appear that it wasn't very long. Upon their leaving here in chapter number 4, you notice that Cain knew Eve's wife and she bore a son and they called his name Cain. At that point, the next verse tells us that she also bore another boy and they called his name Abel. In course of time, they each brought sacrifices or they brought of that which they had access to and to God. And God had a great deal of respect for what Abel brought, but He didn't have respect for what Cain brought. Forevermore, a timeless reminder that God won't just accept anything offered to Him. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And yet the Hebrew writer says that Abel offered in faith and apparently... He offered in consistency to what God had said that he wanted, but Cain didn't. In fact, you may notice as you come to that slide, in a very tragic and sad way, as God had conversation with Cain, encouraging him to understand the error of his way, he reacted in such a poor way. He got angry. He killed his brother. He killed Abel. The very first murder had now taken place. As you and I add to all of that, we notice that God addressed Cain and told him that the ground was going to bring forth not in a good way for him. Verse number 12 reads it like this. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Due to the punishment that was placed upon him, Cain was going to have a challenging time. Although the ground might bring forth some, it was not going to bring forth in the natural order of things. For that was the punishment that God placed upon the ground in light of what Cain had done. But that verse goes on to say, A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Cain was not going to be able to stay in a located place and thus bring forth agriculture. The ground just was not going to bring forth for him. At that point, you begin to notice that brings us to this observation. It's the lesson text. It was read just a few minutes ago in verses 16 and 17. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And at this point, the question, as you can see at the bottom, is the question I thought you and I would consider in our study tonight. In a very innocent way, the passage merely says in verse 16 that Cain went out from that location where Eden was and on its eastern direction. Verse 17 quickly says he knew his wife. And the question then is this, where did he get his wife? Where did Cain get his wife? Kind of an interesting consideration, isn't it? Let's develop that tonight, casting not only some information from this passage, but yea, a number of chapters hereafter will also assist us in thinking about how to answer it. Let me say that I think I'll present two possibilities. And we're going to address one of them, and I want to already give you information. One of them, biblically, cannot be right. But let's talk about them since you may on occasion hear individuals who will mention them to you. 
possibility number one. You may have heard someone say, well, when God created in the original nature of man and woman, He created peoples all over the world. Adam and Eve were only examples of the whole set, but they weren't the only ones He made. And therefore, they say, when Cain went out from this location, it's those other peoples that God created whom, in fact, are such that Cain found his wife among them. Especially those who have a great loyalty toward evolutionary doctrine. In fact, seemingly like this idea. If I may again summarize it, they claim that God made lots of peoples. Adam and Eve weren't the only ones. And these other peoples were scattered around in various places... And it's among those people, so they say, that Cain found his wife. You'll notice near the top of that slide, if that were true, one of the things we should anticipate is that those various individuals would be independent from one another in a genetic way. But that, in fact, is not what we observe. Scientists have known for, yea, hundreds of years that there is a marvelous unity to the human spirit, a marvelous togetherness with respect to the nature of the cells of the human body and the genetic code that makes us up and the way in which we're able to interact one with the other. I've tried to state that like this. Population studies have long since confirmed all human beings now alive share in the same basic genetic code We literally, as Acts 17, verses 25 and following, say we are of one blood of all people under the heaven. One blood. Not independent, not fundamentally distinct, of one blood. When you and I add to that this, the Bible, it seems, in Genesis chapter 3, absolutely excludes this possibility. Could I invite you to notice verse 20 of Genesis chapter 3? That verse simply reads as follows, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. When the time came after Adam and Eve had made their rather poor choice and God meted out the statements of punishment toward them, the time came after that. That verse 20 says, Adam gave her that name Eve. What does the word mean? Well, the verse explains it. She was the mother of all living. There wasn't a human being alive at the time that did not descend through Eve, excepting the special creation of Adam, of course. That again seems to eliminate any possibility that God made lots and lots of peoples and that Cain found his wife somehow among them. Eve was the mother of all living. And may I invite you to notice what the literal word all there suggests? The Hebrew text literally suggests that she was the mother of all humans that were then alive. May I say that absolutely excludes any possibility of what I have just mentioned and at least made note of earlier. And so as you and I conclude that slide... May we quickly say, as those who believe the Word of God, God did not make lots of independently living people somewhere on earth. He made one man, Adam, and from his rib he fashioned one woman, Eve, and all other human beings since have descended through them. Every one of us. When you and I think about the billions of individuals who've lived upon this planet 
and appreciated the nature of human expansion and population, and to see then that Eve indeed was the mother of all living. May I suggest, I think we've eliminated the first possibility. But that still leaves us with the question, where did Cain get his wife? If it wasn't some other person, and if it was not some specially created person by God for him, where did he get her? So possibility number two. You'll notice at the top of that slide, it seems as though that really only leaves us with this possibility. It would appear that Cain must have married a relative, a female relative of his, and that clearly would bring us to either a sister or a niece. And due to age considerations, it would seem we strongly must consider a sister. Now at that point, perhaps our mind begins to recoil in wonderment. Cain marrying a sister of his? Do we have any biblical record evidence of this? And if so, to what point may it take us? And how do we reconcile that with later biblical history? Well, let's begin that journey in the following way. First of all, in Genesis chapter 5, verse number 4, a statement is made about Adam and Eve, and it reads like this, And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. Adam and Eve had more children than besides Cain and Abel and Seth. There were girls in the group. They had sons and daughters. So it's safe to say then that Cain had at least one sister. Let's add to that the following. And let's state it like this. In light of our earlier elimination of the other possibility, it seems as though the only possibility we yet have is that Cain must have married one of his sisters. Now, maybe to you and me, that seems problematic in its own right because isn't it against the law to marry one sister? Well, let's see about that as we continue this study. I would say that today it is against the law because one recognizes genetic issues and genetic problems and the likelihood that would come about of offspring born to such a union that would have serious problems genetically. And so some perhaps would recoil in wonderment. Are you really suggesting that perhaps Cain married his sister? But before we jump too quickly to a conclusion like that, might we remember this? How long has the law been in place that forbids a person from marrying his sister? Has that been a law in place since creation? If it isn't, when was it a law put in force? Well, that by itself is an interesting question, and it takes us to this point. First of all, would you be aware of the fact that there were a number of scenes in the Bible when, in fact, close unions between brothers and sisters, in fact, came to pass? For instance, that man known as the father of the faithful, Abraham, isn't it true? He married his half-sister. The woman that you and I call Sarah, she was his half-sister. Now, it's true on two equations. He lied about it and said she was his, only his sister. But you'll notice that she was also his wife. Now, at this point, might we note the following. What about Isaac? That woman that you and I call Rebecca. And that woman that, of course, was brought to him. You might remember she was his second cousin once removed. And there, that union was forged and formed by the blessing of God. 
you may notice at this point we perhaps are already saying, apparently there was nothing amiss in those early stages of time that would have made such a marriage between Cain and his sister something that violated heaven's law. In fact, as you and I come forward in the books of the Bible, we find it was not until the law of Moses when God put an ending to that practice. Let's put some of those details to it like this. From the time of the creation, you and I might remember that 2,500 years elapsed between then and the time that God gave that law that you and I call the law of Moses. 2,500 years. And in that intervening period of years... God apparently had no issue, no problem with close relatives marrying. It perhaps would be fair to say, though, when we arrive at Leviticus 18, things forever changed in that regard. In that statement of the law of Moses, we we note this. Let me read Leviticus 18. Verse number 6 of that chapter reads as follows. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. At this point, God forever stopped this practice of marrying near of kin. And as you and I give thought to it, that would have eliminated marrying a sister. It eliminated marrying an aunt, a mother, a daughter, a daughter-in-law, any of them. And in fact, many of that chapter, in fact, go on to say in some specificity about all of those particulars. At this point, you and I are well aware of the wisdom that the human family has since appreciated relative to the decrees of that chapter. All of that does bring us to make some additional comments, though, doesn't it? You may notice that this wasn't the last time God made this reminder Now, this scene in Leviticus 18 took place really near the beginning of the wilderness wandering just after they had come out of Egypt. However, about 40 years later, just before they entered the promised land, one more time in Deuteronomy 27, God affirms this same truth. You don't marry next of kin. You don't uncover the nakedness of next of kin. Surely, as we give thought to this distinction... The next slide brings us to ponder the way in which this developed. This consideration, it seems to me, would be fair to say in ways like this. When God fashioned the human family in the book of Genesis, every one of us remember that in Genesis 1.31 He said, All of it is very good. It was very good. The man, the woman, the gene pool that was characteristic of them... Think about what you and I often hear about the contaminated gene pool of our day. Chemicals and various other things through the ages and years have been used by men that have led to genetic mutations. But in the dawn of creation, there was no mutations. There was nothing that offended. There was no contamination of the gene pool. Adam and Eve, you see, were fashioned perfect by God. They were made in His image and in His spirit. Zechariah 12 verse 1. However, over the course of time, apparently 2,500 years later, God intervened to stop this practice of near marrying. Could it be that the gene pool had become sufficiently contaminated by then that God put a stop to this? One of the things you and I might keep in mind from those early stages in time as at least one 
piece of evidence concerning that gene pool. How long did people usually live back then? And you and I know that answer well. Adam lived to be 950 years old before he, or rather 930 years old before he died. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old before he died. And Canaan and Mahalalel and Jared, all of them exceeded 895 years of age before they died. Lifespans were exceedingly lengthy. Is that not evidence of the perfection of God's creation and the gene pool that was characteristic of them? However, you now notice after the flood, lifespans significantly shortened. After all, Noah's children didn't live nearly as long as he did. And by now, you and I perhaps can read about some of these appreciations. God saw fit to understand, and He put in place these restrictions, but there was no problem with Cain marrying his wife. Maybe one final thing. If there was no ethical difficulty in it, it would seem you and I have no other choice. If there were no other ladies, no other women on earth besides Eve, then we understand He had to get His wife somehow through the lineage of Adam and Eve. And so it had to have been a sister, it would seem. As we notice that marriage, as we notice what became of it, a far greater emphasis, frankly, is the line of Cain. Cain was known for his wickedness. Again, a fugitive and a vagabond he was to be in the earth. Now it is true, isn't it, that as Cain recognized those features, it, it was his seed that caused so much difficulty. Have you ever given thought of what about those individuals that wreaked such havoc as the flood came? Remember when it said that the sons of God married the daughters of men? Who were these daughters of men? May I suggest to you they were the ladies through the descendants of Cain. And they were as wicked as he was. They were as improperly directed in life as their ancestor had been. And therefore we notice the problems and the difficulties that came about due to the wickedness that had become so rampant upon earth. As we close that slide and come to the next one, you notice that it brings us to a point of conclusion. A point of consideration. Where did Cain get his wife? He married one of his sisters. And we notice again that there's nothing biblically problematic about that because the law that stopped that practice didn't come until 2,500 years after Cain lived upon this earth. But yet today, you and I note that that kind of practice is not consistent with what's wise and it's not consistent with what's lawful. Aren't you and I thankful for the truth of the Word of God, reminding us about how that through the coming of time and the stages thereof, there are distinctions and differences and laws that change. Aren't you and I thankful for the law of Christ? The perfect law of liberty, James 1.25. This law beneath which we stand today because it really is that law that is the perfect and the law that will not change anymore. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, to consider how the human laws can be repealed, they can be changed. There will be no appealing of God's law. There is no particular court to overturn it. It shall stand unaltered and unchanged to the end of time. 
Didn't Jesus say, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away? Matthew 24, 35. The word of Jesus Christ comes to you and me today, and it comes as strongly, it comes as directly, and it comes as sweetly as it ever did. And not even an angel can change it. Galatians 1, verse 8. In our hearing tonight, you and I appreciate how that perhaps sometimes questions of the ancient era aren't always answered as directly as we'd like. But it seems this one is. And you and I are excited about the thought of that marvelous creation wherein God fashioned Adam and Eve and all humans have come through them. There is no multiplicity of individuals in vast stretches of creation. God fashioned one man and one woman and He was the mother of all living. Tonight, as we've reflected upon that, may I use this as a time to, in essence, also make an invitation. This opening book in the Bible, this book of Genesis, in some ways points us to the 66th book in the Bible, Revelation. Wednesday night, we'll take up chapter 7 in that, in that book, and we will highlight and perhaps be reminded of some incredible truths sterling things that can be very greatly helpful to you and me as we remain faithful no matter what. Tonight, the invitation's extended. If there'd be anybody that would have a desire to respond in a public way, we need not be troubled about questions such as, where'd Cain get his wife? We can deduce what the answer must have been and use the Bible with proper interpretation to answer it. If you and I aren't faithful this evening... May we make it so. May we strive with earnestness to live with a fervency in spirit and a faithfulness in heart, ever resting upon the hope of heaven. Didn't Peter write it like this in 1 Peter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance undefiled, incorruptible, that fades not away, and is reserved in heaven for you. Those kind of reservations thrill you and me. They excite us, and we love to read about them. Heaven, you see, is that reserved place, and there shall be no defilement. Tonight, if you aren't living faithfully to the Lord, if for whatever reasons you may have thought existed, you have allowed unfaithfulness to become descriptive of you, don't allow that to continue. Life is far too uncertain. Your time upon this earth far too short. You need to be right with God. All of us do. And tonight, if we could help restore a, a wayward child of God, perhaps someone here who has walked away from faith but who wishes with excitement to return to the fold, to come back to your first love, we would be happy to wrap our arms of encouragement around you, to pray to God for you, and to welcome you back as a faithful member of the fold of God. It is true, isn't it, that that prodigal son came home. After he came to himself, Luke 15, 24, he came home. If you are coming to yourself tonight and wish to come to Christ, we're going to stand and sing this song of encouragement that Brother Larry has selected. And if at this time we could offer assistance in a public way by way of prayer or encouragement... We'd like to invite you to come, and we'd like to be able to assist you to do so right now while we stand and sing.